What's your price to learn and then exclusively speak Middle Earth Elvish for one year? Or to immediately turn 90 and start aging backward like Benjamin Button? Or to spend one year trapped in a zombie apocalypse video game like The Last of Us? Guys, let's find out. And by finding out, we mean it's time to play Human Values, your weekly stop for logical debates about illogical questions. Here to give each hypothetical of the dialectical, put the O in comedy game show, and shut that blind when you're feeling a bit kind. We're your hosts, Aaron Rubin Corny. And Lindsay Hicks. Also joining us today is a very special guest, host of the podcast Where We Go Next, and just a really awesome person, Michael Callahan. Okay, can we roll the Middle Earth loot? Let Amen Glen. That means let's go in Sindarian Elvish. Elvish has left the building. Across the lands of Middle-earth from the depths of Mordor and throughout the realms, the clouds opened up, the land cracked and crumbled, and out came a new god, a new lord of the future, looking at where we go next in life and where our lands take us. It is Michael Callahan, host of the podcast Where We Go Next, an amazing, curious, intellectually introspective journeyman who is just a great guy. Hi, Michael. Hello, lord of Middle-earth. I'll take it. Thanks so much, Aaron. We're thrilled to have you. You're an inspirational podcaster. You just do great work. You have done just some awesome interviews on your show. And I've enjoyed just getting to know you personally as time's gone on. And it's just really thrilling to have you here. And uh, I think we're having you on at the cusp right before your new season kicks off, right? Yes. The podcast is on a short break, but we'll be returning August 16th. And then I'll be launching my second podcast, Short on Time, some point in mid-September. So a lot of stuff going on, but super happy to be here. And yeah, the questions have tickled me. We aim to tickle. <laughs> that could be your tagline. Is Short on Time a show about people talking about their heights and cooking with different seasonings? Yes. Yeah. Everyone, all guests have to be under four foot 11. Their voices haven't been heard. No, it's a podcast where every, where every single conversation is, is capped at 15 minutes. So it's an interview-based show, just like Where We Go Next, but the conversations are much, much shorter. It has a much lighter tone. It's not nearly as introspective as, as you said about Where We Go Next, and it's just lighter and it's weekly instead of bi-weekly. That's great. That sounds so fun. I love a little snack. I love a little, <laughs> a little pod snack. Yeah, yeah. I feel a lot of our listeners would appreciate if we did that, <laughs> if we kept this under 15 minutes. It's almost like the podcast equivalent of like a paleo puff, you could say. Mm. <laughs> a little vegan, gluten-free audio snack. Exactly. So good for you. Now, I do have a quick question, Aaron. Yes. And this is to precede the three questions I'm about to, that we're about to discuss. Just some technical things because they may affect how I answer. Perfect. And I, I tried to do some research within the human values universe, within the podcast itself. And these answers might exist on one of your episodes, and I just didn't hear it, but I wanted to put it to the two of you today. No, we always like talking about HVU canon. Okay, great. Good, good. Yeah, me too. This is where I live. I guess before we get started, before we really talk about the technical nitty gritty, there's a loose thread, a, a hanging chad that is kind of bugging me. What was the name of that pun game that Lindsay got you that was stolen out of your car? And Lindsay, where can I buy a copy for myself? Oh, what a great question. Yeah. Because I love puns. Yeah, so Lindsay and I went to see, this was like right at the, Lindsay, I'd, I'd like to say this was like right at the crispy t tip of the end of like 
the worst of COVID. Yes. Right there. The crispy tip. The crispy tip. And everyone was a little on edge still. But yeah, we went to see Bon Iver. Bon Iver, we did. And we went in and everyone, you know, is vaccinated only, everything normal. And we got in and it was indoor concert. And the first thing everyone did was take off their masks. And we were like, this is our first outing together in a year and a half. And we don't really want to get COVID. So we decided to hang out in the parking lot for the whole concert alone, just like chatting. We walked around for a while. We tried to get into the the new arena in Los Angeles and Inglewood, the SoFi Stadium. We just tried to like break in. And they were like, <laughs> sir, ma'am, please stop. And we were like, but, but. <laughs> it did not go well. To cap off a lovely little experience, at the end of the night, Lindsay whipped out a little, uh, a little board game for old Cornster. It was a birthday present called Punderdome. Ah, I didn't know it was a board game. I think I, I have heard that there are in-person events, I think, called Ponderdome, if I'm correct. You can get it at lots of different places. It's a must-buy for me. My car got broken into a week later, and they didn't steal much, but they stole a jacket and Ponderdome wow. from my back seat. Okay. It says a lot about the thief of like what their priorities were. Like They were cold, and they like puns. Wow. That's a very interesting choice by the thief. I imagine there were other things in the car. And as, as someone who loves puns myself, um, it's really a love language of mine. I don't respect the theft, but I respect the choice. So Ponderdome. Okay. I mean, they at least had good taste. Yes. Nothing if not good taste. And a jacket. And then my technical questions here are the amounts we're discussing before or after taxes. Lindsay, I don't know about you. I like to live in a fantasy land in the Human Values Universe and the HVU and Canon. There's no taxing when you get paid for it. I don't think about taxing with it. I just like to imagine I get cash in pocket. Here's my follow-up too, and this is actually really crucial because like morally it might affect how I, how I respond. Who's providing the money? We have like an imaginary mystery money man. He looks like the Monopoly guy that we like oh. to imagine that we don't know much about him. He's kind of like on Squid Game. Like there's just like this enigmatic figure in the background financing everything. Mm. We could shift the canon to be that just our producer, Rob. They hear of him, but they don't they don't hear him. Maybe Rob is a multi-bajillionaire and multi-bajillionaire. He's got Lindsay and I playing this game for him and he's a benefactor and he's going to pay out our guests one day. Okay, so it's not like a monkey's paw scenario where it's like it's being removed like cents at a time from a bunch of different people's accounts throughout the world and nothing like that. And I'm guessing also there's not going to be any inflationary results or effects from all this like money kind of like freely entering the economy because it already exists at this money man's bank account. Yeah, I do think at some point we should name this like money person like felonious Munnington or like come up with some name for this <laughs> multi-generational old old money. What if she's like a fancy older woman named like Jan Cash. Ooh. Jan Cash. Jan Cash. I like it. I don't love Jan, but I love Cash. Okay. Okay. What about like Regina Cash or something? Regina Cash or something like creepy that you're like, whoa, how'd you get that nickname? Like Sarcophagus Cash. And you're like, how did you get the nickname Sarcophagus? Ooh, ooh. It could be like Mommy Cash, but do Mummy, Mummy Cash. That's like her nickname. Ooh. She's like a mobbed on Mummy Cash. And if you ask her the question, how'd you come up? How, how, why are you called Sarcophagus Cash? She could turn to you slowly and say, well, because you see, my dear, money never dies. Ooh. <laughs> I am mystified and delighted. <laughs> yeah, Michael, we did want to tell you we have ripped off your idea. We're at 15 minutes and we will see you next time. <laughs> <laughs> perfect. Perfect. I love it. 
Great episode. Let's dive in. The name of the game is Human Values. We're going to do three hypothetical questions with you today. And it's really about what's the least amount of money that we're willing to accept to do the deed. Stuck in the middle of this little combo sandwich is Middle Lens, who could talk about Middle Earth. Oh, okay. Let's do that. What's your price to learn and then exclusively speak Middle Earth Elvish for one year? I mean, that's a great question. To start off, I'm assuming we're talking about Sindarin, the most common Elvish language in Middle Earth. Please. Duh. I want to make sure it wasn't going to be something. I have no idea. No, I I want to make sure. There's also the language of Quenya, but that's mostly a ritualistic language used for ceremonies and poems. So as long as we're talking Sindarin, I mean, I think we can get started. My understanding of Elvish is you just need to try and learn Welsh or Finnish and get really (laughs) drunk, and then you're doing it. It's true. It's true. Yeah, but I mean, thankfully for all of us, both Welsh and Finnish are incredibly easy languages to learn. Notoriously simple. (laughs) Let me ask you this. Is there any part of the Earth, any part of our planet, where people can understand or speak Middle Earth Elvish? Like, do you have to go to conventions where people know it? Like, where are the people that know? Because I know that there are people that know it. Yes. I think probably the easiest place to find a community like that would be online. And then if you would probably need to go about setting something up, there might be conventions where people would speak it more commonly, but I'm not sure. Well, there's like D&D conventions or like fantasy conventions. I'm sure a lot of people speak can speak it there. There's a big online movement to get Elvish on Duolingo. Have you heard about this? I haven't. Is like right up there with Klingon? Yeah. Do you know? So <laughs> I was reading about Elvish this morning and I learned about a guy named DeArmond Spears. And apparently this guy wanted to do a test and he only spoke Klingon to his son for the first three years of his son's life. Stop. His wife still spoke English, but he only spoke Klingon and like did Klingon lullabies and like just only spoke Klingon. And apparently the kid like by the age of three, just refused to talk to his dad and cling on and it wanted nothing to do with it. And it never stuck. Wow. I think that's a pretty rational response by that three-year-old. He really outsmarted his dad <laughs> from a young age. I wonder what he's doing now. I don't know, but there are college courses that teach Elvish. Really? Yeah, which it sounds less abusive than maybe forcing it non-consensually on your child. (laughs) I was able to find some decent YouTube resources. One of the things that I encountered like kind of repeatedly as I was watching these YouTube videos was that one of the difficult things about learning something like Elvish, you know, Sindarin, if we're getting specific, is that it's mostly a written language. So it like a lot of the pronunciation is a lot of guesswork, actually, apparently, because you don't hear it spoken that often outside of the Lord of the Rings films and I think some of the Hobbit films. So it's a little real, little rough there. I guess one of my questions here in terms of figuring out how much it would cost for me to do this, some of your shows past questions, right? Like being cast into Idaho for all eternity. Um, those are like until you die questions. But for this, where it's just a year, would, uh, would we get paid before the task or after? I like to imagine this is after you complete the task because otherwise, if you screw it up, you're not getting it. I actually have to beg to differ. Beg away. I can't do my job speaking Elvish. Yeah. I can't work. So I'm going to need to support myself throughout this year with the money. I, You know what I mean? Like a big part of this fee is so that I can support myself throughout the time I'm, I'm accomplishing this task. I hear you. But do you think, Lindsay, and I want you to really think, okay, do you think that Mummy Cash is going to give you a dime before you do her deed? Well, yeah, because other way, otherwise I... I die. I can't do it. I can't make money. It's an undoable task. (laughs) I think that for me, 
as a single guy who only has a dog, this would probably be the easiest of the three questions, but I'm in Lindsay's camp. I would need the money from mummy up front. And then I think I would just, just hang out. You know, I would either kick it here in LA or go get a fancy, you know, Airbnb somewhere out in the woods or somewhere with delivery. Because as long as you can, I mean, that's a pretty big loophole, Aaron, if you can like type stuff out. Do I have to, can I only type in Elvish or can I type in English? It's only speak. Oh, okay. There are so many softwares where you can type it out and it'll learn your voice and speak for you. It won't sound great, but it won't sound Stephen Hawking. You know, it'll sound more realistic. Yeah. Well, then I think this challenge is is pretty easy because I could order, you know, delivery, a bunch of stuff off Amazon. I can type out what I need to say. I mean, it would make work incredibly difficult, which is why I need that cash up front. But beyond that, this one seems pretty easy. So I think this is, is eminently doable. I was actually talking about this question last night with my dad, who's a big uh, Lord of the Rings fan. So I think he's read, he read the books like 10 times when he, was in his, when he was in his 20s. Does he speak Elvish? No, thankfully for both of us, he does not, nor did he try and force it on me when I was three. So we have a good relationship, my father and I. But he did, he did want to ask a point of clarification. So I want to ask on his behalf, does the year start once you've learned Elvish? Or does learning the Elvish count towards part of that year? So I think it's a year where you can only speak Elvish. So if you don't even learn it, my understanding is you're still fine. It's just the only language you may speak. Got it. Okay. So you don't even have to necessarily learn it. You could just spend a whole year completely mute. You could. Yeah, you could. But I mean, if you want to talk with me and Lindsay during that year, the three of oh, us could true. practice speaking <laughs> Elvish with each other. Now, that would be a podcast. I have this big idea that I could kind of put out into the universe, into the kind of Tolkien universe. I am going to only speak Middle Earth Elvish for one year, and I'm going to be here. And I invite you all, if you would like to be here with me, please do it. And then over the course of the year, a group of people who all like are interested in learning Middle Earth Elvish and kind of can take the time away. You know, we have a little community of Elvish speakers and we can kind of, you know, live our best Hobbit broadsword lives. Yeah. You could start like an Elvish discord. Ooh. Yeah. yeah. By the way, as podcasters, like I imagine we could all just work on like a true crime narrative series for a year, right? Because then you don't have to talk Elvish. You could just produce it and do investigative research and get for that year a really good series ready for the following year. That's true. Or or to yes and you, Aaron, we could do a true crime podcast in Elvish that takes place in Middle Earth. So we could actually create fictitious crimes that then had to be solved, unsolved mysteries. We could call it, um, yeah, like the crimes of Middle Earth. The title needs to be workshopped, Middle Earth SVU. I also want to make a series about therapy in Middle Earth and call it Why So Selvish? <laughs> That's great. <laughs> I like that a lot. Thanks. It would be fun to watch the new Lord of the Rings series on Amazon altogether and speak Elvish. That's true. And no one understands us. One thing, Lindsay, to the, the therapy thing. The one thing about doing therapy in the Elvish language is I hear it can be Hobbit forming. <gasps> oh, I like that so much. What are you talking about? Oh, <gasps> I could taste that one through the mic. That was good. Oh, I am elated right now. Are you shyer about that? Stop. Oh, my God. I love this. <laughs> Never stop. Lindsay, can you do me a huge favor? Can you do your best mummy cash impression to say to the three of us, what's your price or something like that? Well, let's see what you think you're going to get. I liked that. I think I missed out a little bit of like her South African flair. No, you were great. 
Okay, good. Thank you. I really imagine she's kind of a Cajun, like Nolan's kind of witch queen wealthy. Yeah, I support it. She's kind of like from everywhere and nowhere. She's seen the world. Truly. Yeah, and she's always chewing a little. On something. <laughs> Nobody knows what it is. Michael, what are you thinking? How much do you want? I think my price for this one is going to be relatively low compared to the other questions. So I think let's let's come in at a, just an even five mil. Whoa. I like it. I won't be speaking for a year, but hopefully I'll make out rather handsomely. Is it crazy that I'm so much less? Like to me, it's like 200,000 is fine. I want to have some good money for sure. So I can not only pay my expenses, but also live lavishly and do some really cool creative productions and projects and come out the other side of that year comfortable and fine and productive. And I'll probably buy some fancy technology. You know, there's so much technology out there for people who unfortunately can't speak and it speaks for them, right? Like there's so many ways around this that we can use. I'm going to say two hundo bundo. What about you, Lindsay? I am having a very adverse reaction to this one only because communication is very important to me. Using my words is very important to me. I have relationships that I depend on. Losing my easy communication would be really, really hard for me emotionally. So that's something to take into account. I also like don't feel like I'm in a place in my life where I can take a year away. I don't really want to do that. I need my voice the way I'm used to using it in this time of my life. I really don't want to do this one. I don't like it. I would learn Middle Earth Elvish, but to be able to, for that to be the only thing for a whole year, I don't like it. So I'm going to say... $20 million. Yeah. I mean, I, I totally agree with all of your reasoning there, Lindsay. I think just the inconvenience and also the thing that 2020 taught me, and I'm sure taught a lot of people is that like a year is a really long time. Like it can be really long. And in the same way that like living alone through that whole period, especially like the first you know, half a year where I wasn't basically seeing anyone in person. It's like, I, I'm, I'm thinking about that when I'm formulating what my price would be because I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to be basically completely isolated from people. Yes, I can type and have that, but there is something about actually using one's voice and talking while making eye contact. And even with the, the speech to text thing, it can ruin the flow of a conversation. You know, you can't have that kind of off the cuff improvised. I'd have to like hold my finger up. Wait a second. Let me just type this out. Just give me, just give me one second, one second. Let me type it out. It's just a whole thing. And then, you know, my social life is just destroyed. Dating's out the window. It's just a whole, and the podcast. I love my podcast. I wouldn't want to stop doing my podcast. Aaron, I think you're, you're, you're not charging enough, man. You're not charging enough. I won't be shamed on my own show, sir. <laughs> 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 it's far too late for that. I've been shamed a lot. Well, definitely this gets me thinking a lot about how I didn't come out of COVID isolation, learning anything about myself. So I'm glad that you did. But I did learn a lot about our audience looking at the poll results here. Should we get into that? Let's do it. I cannot wait to see what they say. You can wait another second. I don't want to, please. Okay, fine. The high from our audience was $25 million. They beat me. Do you feel seen, Lindsay? I do. The low was $70,000 mm. and it came from a mysterious figure named Rami. Rami said, I would exploit this opportunity by appealing to all the Tolkien nerds and writing down an advanced dictionary for them, perhaps some poems and short stories. It would also be nice to not be expected to talk so much all the time. I like that angle. They could turn it into a thriving business by the time they're done with it. They could have Kickstarters. They could have a shop where they sell 
Elvish Goods. I like it. Ooh, Elvish Goods. What would you name your shop, your Elvish Goods shop? I would name mine I'm All Ears. Oh, that's great. And actually, quite literally, because all I can do is listen for a year. I can't talk unless I'm speaking in Elvish. So I'm quite literally all ears. I would call it self-elfish goods. Yeah, you could write an elf help book. <laughs> I would call it Tricky Wanda's Stuff and Things. <laughs> 5% of the audience said that they would never do this. I think that makes sense. <laughs> they just wouldn't. Whoa. 60% of our audience put over a million dollars, like a million or higher. One fine fellow here named Jake put $4 million and said, so basically, what is my price to spend significant time learning a skill that would alienate everyone around me for an entire year? Going to need a lot for that. Yeah, Jake. Agreed. Yeah, I'm with you, Jake. All right, guys, should we take this conversation and maybe make a 90 degree turn on it and throw it to Lensington to take us down talking lane? Oh, talking lane. Here we are. What's your price to immediately turn 90 and start aging backward like Benjamin Button. Such a good movie. Have you seen the movie Benjamin Button? I have. And if I were aging backwards like Benjamin Button, um, hypothetically, would I age backwards and age and look like Brad Pitt in this scenario? Because that could probably bring the price down a little bit. So I think the rule is that mummy cash hands you the money and her Cajun curse kicks in and you turn 90 years old and now you gonna start going backwards. I think you're going to look like yourself at 90. You don't look like Brad Pitt. I'm sorry. <laughs> so I'll just look like a very, very old version of myself. I see. This is by far the most expensive one for me because the amount of inconvenience would be so high. I mean, it, it's like astronomically high amounts of inconvenience because like automatically, okay, if I'm 90, mummy cash hands me the money. I instantly turn 90. The weight of the cash breaks every bone in my hand because I'm 90. But uh, beyond that, I mean, my parents, you know, who are already caring for my grandmother, who's 92, would all of a sudden have to start also caring for me. And then by the time that they're pretty old, I'm also still old. I mean, I would have to wait over 50 years to be the age I am now. And then by the time I'm this age again, all of my friends who I have now are all like dead or 90. So I think it's... um just the amount of inconvenience and then obviously all the medical stuff I had to have to deal with. And then here's the, something I was wondering too, because I think in the Benjamin Button movie, like when he's like, looks like 13 or 14 on the outside, but he's really like in his 80s or something or 70s or 80s, he gets like mental degeneration. I think he gets like Alzheimer's or some kind of he mental de yeah. degeneration. Yeah. yeah. So that would be also awful being like a little 10 year old, but not being able to remember anything. I mean, uh, I mean, there'd be some golden years in the middle, just like in normal life, but the inconveniences, oh, those are brutal. I don't think it's guaranteed that you make it to zero mm. because if you start off at 90, who's to say that this isn't some cursed monkey paw kind of thing? Like maybe you're going to die at 70. Like, you, you know, you turn 90 and you get 30 years, but then like something happens to you. Like there's no guarantee. We did. That's not in the question, right? We didn't see anything in there being like you turn 90 and you start aging backwards and you're guaranteed to live to zero. I see. You get a guaranteed 90 out of it. That wasn't in there, right? So I'm just thinking of some monkey paw thing of like, oh, crap, you could only live. I don't know however many years you already have left now. It's not like I don't start as a baby. Like I'm not born again as a baby at 90. I'm, I'm going to be me in a 90-year-old body already having lived all the life I've lived already. Yeah, well, that's right. Because if you turn 90, like right now, you take the money from mummy, the mummy money. <laughs> the mummy money. And the cash from cash. And 
you turn 90, there's a good chance maybe you're going to get like 90 more years out of your life. Maybe. But you could also, you know, you just don't know what could happen. You can still get hit by a car. You can have a stroke two years later, just like you're, you're a 90 year old now. Oh, my God. Yeah. You got to really get a lot of good health care. Yeah. 24 hour around the clock medical care. I want multiple staff. You know, I want to be pampered. Yeah. Highest end. To me, it's like you want the best of every field. I want to have enough money that I can lure away the <laughs> the societal ramifications of this would be horrendous. But I, if I could lure away the best doctors in like every hospital, <laughs> actually, then I'd probably have like assassins coming for me. They'd be like, why did you take the top 10 doctors from Cedar sinai Oh, no. And I'd be like, well, I, I just want to make it to 80. That's all I'm trying to do. Lindsay, you've been pretty quiet. Are you fantasizing about finally fitting in with the elderly? Honestly, you know, I love a hot old, but I also love a hot young sometimes. Here's the thing for me. This derails life entirely. Current partners, current activities, current like current things that I enjoy would kind of go out the window. But I mean, also, 90 looks different for everybody. Some people at 90 are dancing around, going shopping for little shoes. Mel Brooks just wrote a book, right? He's 92. He just did the Audible book. 90 isn't the worst thing that could happen. And also, I'm assuming that this is a 90 that is like the ideal version of 90 years old where you've taken incredible care of yourself. Maybe in this scenario, you have eaten like a raw vegan diet and ran five miles a day. I'm screwed. This is the healthiest version of how a person could be. You're a Betty White 90. Ooh, we should have made that the question. You immediately turn Betty White 90. (laughs) let's do it where it's like you know you're still taking good care of yourself you're good you're mobile you're spry yeah yeah but also like as a woman i'm like is so that means then would i have to wait another Mm. 40 years to have a kid and if so then what what time like what does that look like that is a real wrench to throw into the situation And I'm saying that as a person that I'm not sure if having children is in my future or not. I just don't know. But it's something to consider. 100%. You would get to enjoy the grace of reverse menopause. Ooh, I mean, yeah. It's going to happen at some point regardless, right? Right. That would be you turn 90 and you get to look forward to it being in reverse. Yeah, then you have like... You're living your best menopause life and then suddenly you have to like go through basically like a version of puberty kind of again. Wowza. Yeah. It's going to be one of those moments where it's like somewhere in like the 40 to 50 years from now range, you're just going to be going about your life and you're going to be like, when was the last time I had a hot flash? And then you're going to be like, wait a second. Then you go to the doctors and you're like, hey, (laughs) your menopause is over. You have reversed out of it. Yeah, weird. And that's when you get to go to people or your partner and be like, hey, I'm technically 70. I can get started now. I can get started. Let's have some kids. I'm 70 years old. Yeah. (laughs) It just seems really messy. I mean, I guess in a way it's not the worst thing because then when all the people in your life start aging, you can kind of take care of them, I guess, which is a nice thing. You'll be a little bit more spry and you can be of better service in that sense. Also, I think that like having a younger physical form with the wisdom of years, there's perks to that. I think that could be really interesting. But then also like how frustrating that like everyone that looks like they're your same age is just some dumb dumb who's still learning the ropes. Yeah. It alienates you. You're ostracized automatically. It derails the course of your life. This is such a huge, overwhelming life overhaul. 
it seems not good. If I were turned into a 90-year-old Betty White, my amount might be a little less because that would be fun. But I agree with you. It would seem more like a curse than, than like it's very monkey's paw. It's like, all right, I guess this is happening to me now. It's super cursy. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't put it above mummy money to, to do something like that. Yeah. It's a high one for me because it basically says like the life you had planned for yourself is now totally different. It's it's derailed. We might as well get a weed sponsor for today's episode because we are going to get high. <laughs> yeah. And we're really getting into the weeds of this question. <laughs> hey, Michael, I just want you to know I love a pity laugh. So thank you. <laughs> I'm going to say $450 million. I think that's reasonable. I'm going Billy. One Billy. You're Billy Goat? I'm Billy Goaten. I think mine would be yeah, right around there. I was hovering around 1.5, probably 1.5 Billy Goats. Wow. <laughs> Why have we never referred to these as Billy Goats? I don't know, but I really like it. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely canon in the MVU. Officially. Knowing Mummy Money, she would probably take that literally and, and turn me into a 90-year-old man and give me one and a half living billy goats michael i don't know if you know you've done this but you've changed mummy cash to mummy money oh and i like it better oh sorry (laughs) (laughs) well i'm imagining that's her currency Mm. mummy money is what mummy cash gives you or do you want to change it Lindsay? is it mummy money i think both are really special but mummy money feels (laughs) like it's it's musical it's rhythmic it has it's percussive i'm subconsciously drawn to alliteration I i suppose do we want money, mummy, or mummy, money? Mummy, mummy, money, mummy. Ooh. A little mummy mo? It's like sugar daddy, but money, mummy. Ooh, she's the money mummy. Yeah, she's a sugar daddy, but she's the money mummy. All right. I mean, that's good. Just so you know, there's Michael, there's no way you would know this, and none of our listeners would know this either, but our producer, Rob, Lindsay and I call him pod daddy when we're working. <laughs> that's great. We rely on him for everything in our lives. You know, when Rob really just lays it down and calls the shots, we're like, yes, pod daddy. And <laughs> having a pod daddy and the counter side to that on the show is money mummy. So pod daddy and money mummy. I just think that that is my next tattoo. There we go. But Pod Daddy is with an I. It's not with an I. That's how you spell it. That's how I spell it. And I like my way. All right. Well, let's see what way our audience likes it. So at the high is One Billy Goat by Mark. (laughs) So we give give a spot for people to write down their explanation. Mark put $1 billion and in the box he wrote, quote, no explanation. (laughs) (laughs) I like like that, Mark. I love Mark. Live your best life and nobody needs to know why. Get it, Mark. (laughs) Mark, you're a real money mummy. Ooh, this is interesting. I don't know if I've ever seen a low this high. The low is $400,000. Wow. Yeah, this sounds like this sounds not fun. Yeah, that's a steal. I mean, that is $400,000. Yeah, I'm like, what, dude? I want to sit that person down and I, I want to have like a self-worth talk. Like $400,000 with, with inflation, I mean, that, that money's going to evaporate. Yeah. I mean, I will say some people have like an old fetish where maybe like the, the thought of being old is like, mm, like maybe it's someone that like wants to spend their like mentally very like spry years as an old. As an old. You know, <laughs> I, it could be the same person who, who wanted to spend a year like writing an elvish book for fans maybe they would just take all that time when they're old you know like take that 20 years between 90 and 70 and just really focus on that elvish book 30 percent of our audience said they would never do this 65 percent of our audience put four million dollars or more yep and finally we're gonna stop at kim 
Presumably, this is Kim Kardashian, our most famous listener. I like to imagine it's my sister, Kim. <gasps> Hi, Kim. Kimmy, baby. Kim put 800 milskis and said, quote, so you just feel better and better every day and you totally rock your 20s with wisdom and self-awareness of your own hotness. Ooh, I'd want a lot of money to live a full life and pay for caregivers when I'm old and a baby. <laughs> Kim's got it figured out. Pretty good logic, honestly, to be like wise and and like with a young hot body could be fun. Kim knows that at some point she will come back with perspective and have game. Speaking of game, Lindsay, can you grab a little controller and Joy stick it to the man with some hot takes on some hot words? I can. And it sounds a little something like this. What's your price to spend one year trapped in a zombie apocalypse video game like The Last of Us? You'll have infinite lives and can escape early if you finish the main campaign. I'm so ready for Pedro Pascal. I'm just everything about me is ready for this. Pedro Pascal? Yeah, he's going to be in the, is it HBO? The live action show of it? Of The Last of Us? Yeah, Pedro Pascal's doing it. Could you tell me a little bit about The Last of Us? Michael, you want to take it? I know you're a big gamer. <laughs> so in The Last of Us and The Last of Us 2. Or as the French call it, The Last of Us 2. The Royale with cheese, duh. There's been a brain infection pandemic caused by cordyceps, which is an actual mushroom. A mushroom. That exists in real life. Yeah, that's but real. But in the game, it's infected people's brains and turned them into zombie-like creatures. And so you play in the wake of this infection. In the first one, you play as Joel, uh, who is going to be played by Pedro Pascal in the adaptation. And also some, some parts as Ellie. And then in the sequel, uh, you play as either Ellie or Abby, the woman who Ellie is trying to hunt down. Okay, cool, cool. So the mutant fungus that takes over people's brains and turns them into zombies is cordyceps. It's real, the ants. Yeah, so cordyceps is a fungus that's a mind control fungus and it's a real thing i mean the game makes it like a mutant strain of it that like takes over people but yeah it is a fungus that is mind control for bugs so like caterpillars and ants yes i've read about it because it creates these zombie ants there's this like fungus that takes over its brain and makes it like leave its nest and go up really, really high, right? And grow the fungus in a better place. So like it tries to get it to like the precise temperature and humidity, which is like higher than where they live. It mushrooms out of their head. The mushrooms force the ant to lock its jaws around a leaf. And then it sends a stalk through the ant's head with a capsule full of spores. So basically the the cordyceps makes the ant into like a place where it can replicate itself. So actually one one correction on that, it doesn't spore. The way it replicates is that the ant actually goes that height and grows the stalk so that a bird or another animal will swoop in and eat the bug or the caterpillar or the ant, and then it poops it out. And then that poop gets eaten by bugs. And that's the poop contains the spores. So it replicates in the stomach. So that's its cycle of life. That's why it mind controls them is it gets them to go out where they'll get eaten by a predator and it grows the stalk to help catch the eye of the predator. So that caterpillar gets eaten by like a bird. The bird poops it out. It's in the poop. It gets eaten by bug. Mind control takes over the bug. And that's its cycle. Circle of life. Here's something. It's also in a book called The Girl with All the Gifts. They talk about the cordyceps zombie fungus. Interesting. So I eat cordyceps. So I drink a cordyceps tea. 
I'm really into mushrooms and fungi. So I drink a cordyceps tea, but I also went to a farmer's market recently where they had cordyceps. They were vegan cordyceps. So they harvest and grow them in substrates that are not animals. They grow it in like just, I don't know, sawdust or something. But cordyceps apparently has lots of benefits and it's pretty good. I ate it raw at a farmer's market recently because they canned it to me and I was like, oh, well, great. But yeah, so Last of Us is based on a real thing. But I don't know about you guys, but this whole question about, okay, so you spend a year trapped in a zombie apocalypse like video game. You, you can't really die, but you can get out of it and finish the main campaign. I don't know about you. I don't want to go through the trauma of, of finishing a, a video game campaign in real life kind of style. Like, I don't want that trauma. So I'm probably just going to go with, like the Pacific Northwest and go in the woods and just spend a year living. And like, if a bear eats me, fine, I have infinite lives. Like, to me, it's just like a survive or like go to Nepal where like you see the people who like do honey harvesting off of those like really high up cliffs and just like go live in these cliffs. But wait, you don't get to pick where you spend your weird year, right? You have to be in a video game, in a zombie apocalypse video game. So you're saying I have to like just only be in the territories the video game has in it. I'm imagining this as you are stuck in like an alternate universe that is that video game where you're not even on the real world anymore. You're going, you're going into like metaverse, different dimension video game where you are no longer on this plane of existence as we know it. You are in some other realm. Does Money Mummy offer us what game or world? Like, can we choose to go into Jumanji or can we choose to go into The Last of Us or can we choose? It has to be zombie apocalypse. I pictured it, yeah, something something similar to what, what you were saying, Lindsay, where, I mean, The Last of Us 2 is a semi-open world game, same with Last of Us. Last of Us 2 is more open world, but there are a lot of locations. There is a, there, a lot of it takes place in, in and around Seattle, to your point, Aaron. But I think that you would be confined to wherever the game would allow you to go. So wherever the designers of that game had designed. But in this instance, right, if we could pick our game, if, if Mummy <laughs> let us uh, pick our game, I would probably do The Last of Us 2 and then I would stay where the game starts in Jackson, Wyoming, because there a group of people have set up like a town within the town of Jackson, Wyoming. They have a safe, thriving community. There are like stores and places to eat. They have a farm. They have greenhouses. And I think if I could, I would just chill there for a year. I do have a couple clarifying questions. If this really is a game game, then do the characters that I would speak with, even if they're, you know, fairly advanced and scripted like in The Last of Us 2, can they only talk to me with their pre-scripted lines that have been recorded by voiceover actors? AKA, like once they've said the things that they've recorded to say, are they just not going to talk to me anymore because the lines literally haven't been recorded? Or do they possess like an AI sentience that is like beyond what's been recorded and I can interact with them? And then my second question is, is this game that I'm in, if it's single player, right? Like The Last of Us 2, can I choose the home of the person the game is residing in and can I talk with them through the monitor of the TV they're looking at me in? Like if like I said, hey, I want my best friend to have the Last of Us 2 game that I'm trapped in. Could like every night he turn on the game and see me and like we could talk or could I hear him? Like what are the like I want to get in kind of the nitty gritty of the details of this, you know, let's gritty or nitty. Rob, our producer here, wrote a note that I really agree with, which is that let's do this Jumanji style. You're just you're sucked in. It is your own adventure of that universe. I like the pre-scripted thing you said because it reminds me a lot of like Ready Player One, the book, how you have to know the lines and perform them to get through it. In my head, the people are like real in that world. So like their characters are all based on how they were written and designed and voice acted, but like they have full personalities. I mean, that would be way easier. If I could do that for a year and I could stay in 
like a nice little town where they've, you know, and maybe have to do zombie patrols every once in a while, that'd be fine. But if it was one of those things where it's like, if after the first couple of days of staying there, if like every time I try to start a, start a conversation with like the mayor, he just keeps re- returning to, well, Michael, it's about time for you to go out and do that zombie patrol, you know, and like I, you know, oh, well, why don't we get some coffee, you know, Seth? And they're like, well, Michael, it's about time you go out there and do that zombie patrol. And like, they're just stuck. <laughs> I have to move on because they won't say anything else to me because at this point in the game, I have to go to Colorado. <laughs> You're trapped in a video game town and you fall in love with a nice young lady and you have a nice date with her. And then she just starts walking towards a wall and won't stop and she glitches out. And you're like, oh, I had a nice night too, I guess. She's like, well, I had a wonderful night. I guess I'll see myself in. And she opens the door to her house and there's literally nothing inside, just a black void because you're not supposed to go in there in the game. <laughs> like, that would, if it, like all those limitations are on it. I mean, I mean, what's your whole perspective on this, Lindsay? Look, I am not a gamer. So the functionality of how these games work is a little bit beyond me. Um, I did recently see a video of a game called Stray, which I'm very interested in where you just, where you're just a cat and going around being a cat. I'm like, that would get me into video games. That, that sounds fun to me. I'd love to be a cat. And I was like, okay, so you're walking around your little world. You can talk to other people. I don't, I think there's something else going on in Stray. Like maybe there's zombies or something or bad guys. There's no zombies in Stray. That's, that's a, a cyberpunk dystopian future. Sorry, let me just correct you real quick, okay? It's very important you understand. <laughs> it's very important you understand the difference between a post-apocalyptic versus post-apocalyptic zombies, okay? <laughs> You've never played, like, the phone app, like, Plants vs. Zombies? You could do that. You could just eat plants for a year. Oh, yeah. No. I like Wordle. Have you done zombie Wordle? Not to malign any of it. Like, I think it's very fascinating. I have a little strategy I'm working on for this, and I don't know if it's a strategy that would work, but this is what I'm thinking. I would try to find the zombie apocalypse game that seemed like it would be the least traumatizing, like something kind of fun where the zombies aren't really that scary. And maybe maybe the zombies are actually kind of nice and maybe even helpful. You know, I don't know if that game exists. I don't know how high the stakes are in a game like that. Maybe there's a a game where the humans are the bad guys and the zombies are the good guys. You know, that's a little twist. Maybe that's out there. I don't know. So I would have to put a lot of time and energy into finding the right zombie apocalypse video game that I feel like I could live in for a year or also something really, really easy that I'm like, oh, I'm going to practice up before I go in there and I am going to escape so early. I'm only going to be in there for a month, maybe two maximum. That would really be my strategy in all of this. However, you know, what if there's an off chance where I, you know, once you're in there, it's much harder to complete the ta- the campaign than you think it's going to be from the outside. And then, you know, you're possibly, you could be in there for a year and leaving my life, like I have said, for a year is hard and I don't like the idea of it at all. I have a dog, you know, I can't just go into a video game for a year. And I don't want to bring Bagel into a zombie apocalypse. She looks delicious. They would get her so fast. But you'd have infinite lives. I know, but imagine having to get eaten by zombies over and over and over again. I do. That's the only way I can sleep at night if you want to know. (laughs) (laughs) Bagel wouldn't understand it. She would just be like, they're eating me and I'm coming back, but this is my nightmare. And for me, it's like the pain, the suffering of every single time getting killed. Like, no, that sounds awful. You also don't want a small dog with PTSD. They already seem like they carry it with them by nature. It's true. It's true. Everything already scares her anyway. 
So, you know, she's scared of the sound that it makes when I plug the click of plugging my phone into charge, which is hardly audible, but she's terrified of it. So (laughs) it would not be a good situation. I wouldn't want to leave her with someone else for a whole year. Would time in the game and time in real life pass the same time? Or could you hypothetically leave Bagel alone for just like an hour and the hour that Bagel's alone is a year for you in the game? Oh, like, is it like a Jumanji Narnia kind of thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that changes everything because I'm thinking one calendar year. To me, I would probably just go do Minecraft because that's technically a zombie game because there's little zombies at nighttime that come out. And I would just not get too adventurous. I wouldn't try and beat the game. It's too difficult. But like, I would just like have a little, I don't know, I'd have a little cottage and I'd just find some safe places and I would just have a good time and just relax and just journey and explore that world. Yeah. You have infinite lives. It just seems like it'd be fun. It's procedurally generated. So just lots of exploring and there's like AI characters. So I don't know. It's not bad. But I mean, with Minecraft specifically, Aaron, and as someone as someone who writes like you do, are you concerned that in a game like Minecraft with its visual design elements that you might encounter writer's block? Listen, I think that to ask me a question like that, you'd have to be pretty square. <laughs> That's true. You keep yourself busy. You know, you practice cubism. <laughs> yeah, we're really mining this for all the puns we can, aren't we? I came at you with a word assault and you really blocked that one. Well, we're crafty. Well, those were your ideas, but I prefer mine. <laughs> All right, guys, to do this, to me, it doesn't seem that awful if you're just popping out and popping right back in. And like, I don't know, I like I don't I'd almost pay for the experience. Like, it just sounds really interesting to have. I feel like I wouldn't get to share it with anyone. So to me, if I could bring a friend with me or like be trapped in it with you two and all three of us are doing it together, that's a lot more appealing because then you're not going insane from loneliness and isolation. So I think for like the emotional trauma of it, maybe. I'm like half a million dollars, I would say yes. Like, this doesn't seem that bad to me because I would choose a game like Minecraft and just go on a really interesting journeying experience and it won't be too scary. It gets a little scary, but yeah. I hate this. You hate everything today. I don't like video games. I mean, it's not that I don't like them or maybe I don't like them. I haven't played any video games, so I don't know if I like them or not. So the mystery, like, I don't know what, happens in there. I don't want to leave my life for a year on the off chance that it's not just a few hours. Like we don't really know the timing of how, how it's all going to work. Money mummy's a tricky mistress. She's so tricky. I'm going to have to go really high because there's too many variables and I don't really know what I'm walking into and I'm worried about bagel. So I'm going to say $100 million. I think for me, if I knew that it was, you know, just like an hour of normal time and I could leave my dog Charlie just hanging out in the living room for like an hour or have like the dog walker come and take him for an hour while I spend a year inside of a video game. It might be less expensive. It was If it was a full year, if I could pick the game and it was like Last of Us 2 and I could just hang out in Jackson and the AI was smart enough that I wouldn't just get trapped in these like dialogue loops, I could I would do it for $100 million. Yeah. Yeah, pre-tax, $100 million. Twinsies. (laughs) I'm pretty sure you guys could split the dog babysitter, so that won't be so bad. You guys could split that out of your money. And then I'm a little more worried, honestly, about what Lindsay said about not liking video games. I'm ready for, like, comments now to come in from the video game community. But I feel like I gave the clarification that it's not that I don't like them, but I don't know them. 
this podcast is turning a blind eye to one of culture's most salient forms of media now. Like, where you get that? Well, I think that you guys really represent the side that is gamers, and I'm representing the side that isn't. And I feel like everyone has a safe space here. True. I mean, I think for anyone who's not like a video game fan who's listening to this, I'm, I, I think you could probably just imagine ground, you know, a Groundhog Day type scenario, but with with a lot of zombies in it. <laughs> Basically, you can't die. I'd watch that. Yeah. Groundhog's Day with zombies. So the high from our audience, looking at our poll here, is $100 million. This person said, I'd write out the whole year in the simplest way possible and just get paid. I'm a wimp and would not try to beat the story. Plus, I wouldn't mind a year out of this world. Yes, even for post-apocalyptic hellscape. Can't be much worse than the U.S. right now. I'm from the U.S., FYI. Oh, my God. True. Yeah, I mean, I didn't think about that upside. You could just take a break. You could take a break. Yeah, zombie apocalypse might be nice. From U.S. society for a year. Yeah. Yeah, I might I might take that break when we're in the middle of the next election cycle. That's a good time to peace out to zombie apocalypse. Need some relaxation from the from the election? Jump into a zombie survival game. Yeah. Just like the latter half of 2024. The low here, two people put $0 and said I'd pay for this. One of them said I'd pay for this experience. Yeah. Huh. This sounds interesting. I could see VR people loving this. If the pain was really visceral, though. Imagine it really hurts and you feel every, like, what? If you felt the pain of the zombie biting into your flesh and ripping it off while another one is ripping your arm out of its socket, like, zero dollars? I mean, uh, I don't know. You hear that, listeners? Send us your submissions. Stay engaged <laughs> with us and we will shame you to the ground guys it sounds like an episode of black mirror where somebody pays for an experience where they get to live inside of a A video game and then suddenly they are it's like a never-ending torture yeah Yeah. fair enough all right let's keep going 20 percent of our audience here said no amount of money at all would make them do this Bess said just no i don't care that i would actually that i won't actually die no zombies yeah man scary 30 percent of our audience was under ten thousand dollars that's interesting wow 15% of our audience was over $10 million. And apropos to our guest today, we have a submission from someone named Mike who put $10,000 and said, the ability to experience death without the fear of permanency alone would be awesome, let alone getting to kill zombies for a year with no long-term repercussions like dead family and the world, et cetera. You could do a lot of cool stuff with literally being unable to die. And I think if you got over the fear of death, you could probably save yourself a lot of pain to circle back to that, Lindsay. Like if you had a gun on you at all times and you're like, all right, I know that if I die, quote unquote, I'll just go back to wherever my save location was or go back to the little town. You could just have a handgun with you and the moment you see like the zombies are approaching you and you're, they're going to overpower you, just, you know. You'll get good. Take yourself, take yourself back to the save, save spot is what I'm saying here. Yeah. I see, I see. You know what I mean? Spare yourself the pain and just go back to the save. A loophole. Exactly. Yes. Because who needs all that ripping and tearing? No one has time for that. Nobody wants it. Nobody wants it. No, Bagel doesn't want it. Speaking of loopholes, let's loop around and look at the whole big picture here. Michael, we love to do a little awards at the end of the show. We like to wrap things up and just kind of talk about how we stacked up against the audience. So we're going to look at the average for the polled audience and what it would cost them to do all three tasks. And then look at the same for what the three of us had to be paid to do all three tasks and see where we sit. And Lindsay, as the awards, I would say you're the awards cordycep. Yeah, I'm going to live in your brain. Ooh, (laughs) like this podcast does. Yeah. First, we're going to take a look at the audience average. So the total for all of our polled listeners to do all three tasks today is 188 and a half million. 
But here's here's something: 177 million of which came from the Benjamin Button question alone. Yeah, that's a rough one. So our first award is the Lowly Liam Award, which we give to people that are under the polled listeners amount. And today, there are no Lowly Liams. Wow. There are none. Oh. Then we have another award called the Highly Kylie Award, which is for the people that are over the polled audience average. And guess who won that? Three people named Michael, Aaron, and Lindsay. Wow. It's an honor. Yeah. What are our totals? Aaron's total is 450,700,000. Hmm. Mine is 1.2 billion. Jeez. And Michael's is 1.6 billion. A billy goat. You two are the billy goats today. We should add that award. Anyone who went over anyone who went over a billion dollars is the grand billy goat. The grand billy goat. I like it. I like it a lot. <laughs> and you know, Lindsay, you and I, we can't wear shorts. We can only wear billy jeans. Ooh. Is not my lover. <laughs> She's just a girl that says that I'm the one. Wow. We're going to strut our stuff in our Billy jeans. Your favorite musician really must not be Michael Jackson, though. It must be Adam Pant. <laughs> a little more obscure. Oh, gosh. That's good. And, Lindsay, I know you don't like Super... Uh, if, I know you're not a video gamer, but I want you to know Super Mario's enemy when you play it next time is going to be Trouser. I know Mario because I had an N64 and I loved it. Okay, that's fair. What are Mario's pants made out of? Denim, denim, denim. <gasps> and if you out there in listener land want more of that, check out Michael <laughs> Callahan's amazing podcast, Where We Go Next, featuring interviews with all of the developers of Super Mario franchise. No, no, <laughs> no, 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 I wish. What do you got going on, Michael? Let's talk about your show, your new show. What should people be looking out for and doing? Yeah, so Where We Go Next is a lot of fun. I, I basically titled it that so I could kind of interview whoever I want. So I interviewed Zach Grauman, who was the campaign manager for Andrew Yang's 2020 campaign. I have talked with uh, Dr. Monica Gandhi about the efficacy and awesomeness of mRNA vaccines. She's one of the head disease specialists from UCSF. I've spoken with um, nuclear physicist Nick Turan about nuclear power. I've spoken with um, the, the, a journalist for The Atlantic, Amanda Ripley, about how to resolve testy political conflicts. So I've had an awesome time talking with just a ton of really amazing people across a whole diverse set of topics. Actually, on September 6th, I'm going to be talking with Steve Hendricks, who's a journalist who just wrote a book about the science and history of fasting. So we're going to have a whole conversation about where fasting originated, what religions uh, celebrated and observed it, and how fasting came to be popularized in the West in the 19th century. So a lot of really cool info there. And yeah, Short on Time, as I said earlier, is a much shorter and a lighter version of that podcast. Instead of 90 minutes to two hours per episode and really deep dives, uh, the questions are going to be a little more surface. I decided I wanted to start Short on Time because while I love doing these deep dives, they require so much prep. Every episode requires about eight to 12 hours of just prep and research, which is great. But I want to talk about way more stuff, but I can't dedicate 10 to 12 more hours of research for a bunch of other topics. So short on time was born because I'm a little short on time. And so talking about a topic for 15 minutes instead of two hours requires less research, but allows me to talk to way more people. So I had an itch to scratch and I'm scratching it. Well, I got to tell everyone, 
you do amazing interviews. The amount of research you do in advance is very clear because your questions are great. Your conversations are great. And the maturity and depth that you exercise on that show doesn't hold a light to ours since we're just a bunch of morons joking about oh, shush. money mummies. Speak for yourself. Well, one thing I would I would like to say to the two of you, and I'm not saying this just because I'm a guest on the show, but what is so great about human values is that not only is it like a, a hook that is just really immediately gettable, you know, like when I've been telling people about the show in preparation um, for this episode and telling people about it, it's a hook that really lands with everyone you explain it to because everyone has had conversations like these over beers or glasses of wine or whatever. But in addition, it's just super well-structured and the question's are really creative and interesting episode to episode. So it's been a real blast. Thank you so much for having me on. It's a really great show. And I I speak for podcasters everywhere that most podcasts out there are, I'll be kind and say, are not as great as this one. Let's say that. So this is a really great show. You got an awesome premise and it's really been amazing to be a guest. So thank you so much for having me on. This was super fun. Thank you for the kind words. I'm gonna cry right now. That's so nice. I kind of wish that I had my car parked somewhere because that was some free validation. (laughs) (laughs) Michael, thank you so much for playing along with us and coming on and all the kind words. Great to be on a podcast with so much value. Oh, my gosh. I really want to play a game of Punderdome with the two of you. That'd be fun. Just don't leave it in Aaron's car. Yeah, lesson learned. Is Michael Callahan the gravity blanket of podcast guests or what? I feel like a cozy little hot cup of Jojo. You know what makes me feel like a hot cup of Jojo is making the show. You know what I love even more than a little slip of J is how much our listeners love playing along. If you want to join in the fun out there, run as fast as you can to your nearest browser and let us know your worth. We're always putting up new polls over at humanvaluespodcast.com. And while you're on our website, help our lazy writers be even lazier. Send us your own crazy what's your price questions. Again, over at humanvaluespodcast.com. Lindsay, bop it up. If you enjoyed today's episode or if you just like our show we make, please spread the word. We appreciate it so, so much. And if you mention Human Values Pod on Instagram or TikTok, or if you leave us a review on your favorite podcasting app, and oh, I don't know, maybe leave us a rating while you're there. Maybe we'll choose you for a shout out. I just want to shout out to the heavens how much I loved in our intro when I sang Bad Middle Earth music and you spoke in Elvish. So you want to lean into that again for the outro here? Aaron. Oh, Aaron. We have done something magnificent today because of you. We have reached the credits. We're your hosts, Lindsay Hicks and Aaron Ribbon Corny. Special thanks to our guest this week, Michael Callahan. Our lead producer is Rob Goldman. Our producers are Shanti Brooke and Aaron Rubin Corny. That is me. Our editor is Andrew Sims. Our engineer is Jason Portizo. Our music is by Omer Bensby. All information, research, and advice shared on today's episode was expressed for entertainment purposes only. Statements provided by the Human Values hosts, production team, and guests should not be taken as professional advice or fact. Human Values is a human content production.